I invite you to turn with me in the scripture to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. Uh, we'll be looking this morning at verses uh, 8 through uh, 17 as we continue our uh, study uh, of this uh, book of the Apostle Peter uh, to the church. 1 Peter 3 uh, verses 8 uh, through 17. And as we read uh, these words, uh, we're reminded of what we sang earlier, that uh, the Lord is sovereign over the affairs of man. He's also sovereign over where we come to in the scripture on certain days of the year. And so First Peter 3, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for the grace and mercy of having uh, your word before us to know that our God uh, has spoken, that you have not left us uh, to ourselves and our sin and misery and trouble and trial, but Lord, that you have spoken your word to us clearly in the scripture and in the person of the Lord Jesus, your son. And so we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit uh, who lives within your people, who is present with us in this place so that as we read these words of Scripture, the Holy Spirit reads along with us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would graciously take what's been read and what will be preached. Lord, apply it to us for your great glory and our eternal good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Graham Staines, 58 years old, a native of Australia, director of the Leprosy Mission in Barapada, Orissa, India, and translator of the New Testament into the Ho tribe language, had spent 35 years of his life to help the poor and illiterate in India. When he was on his way to attend the 14th annual Jungle Bible Camp in the village of Manaharpur. Just after midnight, January 23, 1999, Staines was sleeping in his station wagon with his two sons, Philip, who was 10, 
and Timothy, seven years old. As the drive to Bible camp was a long way, uh, the roads were difficult. They needed to rest. And so they pulled over to the side of the road to sleep. In the middle of the night, as they slept, the windows of their vehicle were broken and glass shattered everywhere. Gasoline was quickly poured all over the vehicle and over Graham Staines and his two sons and ignited. And the vehicle and Dr. Staines and his two sons were enveloped in flames. When the authorities came uh, upon the scene, uh, the charred bodies in this report said were found embracing each other. Later, those claiming responsibility said that Staines was guilty of illegally converting people to Christianity. In this letter we're reading in 1 Peter Peter returns here in verse 8 and following uh, to an exhortation to all his readers. You might know that we've been thinking about uh, Christian wives and Christian husbands, servants in the household. Here at the end, uh, Peter returns to his theme, which has really been talking to all of us as believers in Christ. You remember chapter 2, verse 11, uh, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So that's talking to all believers And then he begins a discussion in verse 13 of chapter 2 of how we are to be uh, subject. We're to be submissive as servants of God in whatever calling God has placed us. And so as he finishes the discussion of uh, particular places, for instance, in the home, uh, how to live as a Christian, uh, now he circles back to how all Christians are to conduct themselves. And he opens that with that word simply finally or uh, to sum up or uh, the end or purpose of all of this, all of you, is this. And uh, so we're in that kind of concluding section to all of us. Now, verse 8 is a beautiful picture of how we are to conduct ourselves as the church uh, and within the church. Uh, One has called verse 8 the ideal portrait of the church. Uh, We'll call it the glorious body of Christ. Uh, That's verse 8. And, uh, and we'll consider that next week. But verses 9 to 17 uh, are also all about how all Christians ought to live and conduct themselves. Not now uh, in the church or in their relationships to one another as the church, but, says Peter, in their relationship uh, to the evil of those who oppose us and the suffering uh, that it causes. So verse 8 is all about the wonderful portrait of the church within and relationships to each other, but the rest of the passage, uh, for the most part, is all about um, how does the church, how does the Christian deal with uh, the evil that opposes us and the suffering that it often leads to. And it's in these latter verses that we want to spend our time this morning, because today, as I mentioned, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, Hebrews 13 goes like this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also uh, are in the body. Well, this is what the Apostle Peter wants us to remember this morning. First of all, uh, we need to remember, says the Apostle Peter, the reality of evil. The reality simply 
of evil. Now, clearly the Apostle Peter uh, believed in the difference between good and evil. So let's just start there. Uh, That can't be assumed anymore today. Um, When the Apostle Peter speaks about that which is good and pursuing the good and being zealous for the good, uh, turning away from evil uh, on the ears of someone maybe who's attended one of our public universities, they're saying, well, wait a minute, there's not really good and evil. Well, the Bible says there is. Um, And the Apostle Peter believed in the difference between good and evil. Late in the 19th century, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche uh, wrote a book called Beyond Good and Evil. And in that book, he's talking about how uh, you know, man kind of evolves to the point where really you need an ubermensch. Uh, it's the word for superman. And the superman who eventually evolves in society doesn't need to bother himself with any kind of definitions of good and evil. He, can just, kinda, he just kind of decides what's good and evil himself. He's, he's gone beyond you know, those Christian values of righteousness and unrighteousness and so forth. Uh, But clearly, that's not the Apostle Peter's view. The righteous, there's righteous and there's wicked, there's good, verse 10. Uh, There's good days in verse 10 to be sought. Verse 11, there's those who do good, verse 13. There's those who are zealous for what is good, verse 16. There's those who have a good conscience, and there's uh, those who, again, do good in verse 17. Likewise, the Apostle Peter makes clear uh, that there are also those who uh, pursue evil, Verse 9, twice, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Uh, Verse verse, uh, 10, uh, he says, let him keep his tongue from evil. Our lips can speak evil. Uh, Verse 12, there are those who do evil. Verse 12, and then verse 16, again, those who slander you, revile your good behavior. And verse 17, uh, doing evil. And so clearly there is a a distinction to be made here that the Apostle Peter makes. The word evil here means wicked, vicious, bad in heart or conduct or character. That's how the Bible speaks about evil. The Bible speaks about evil thoughts, uh, evil words, and evil actions. And basically evil is defined in the Scripture as simply all that is opposed uh, to God. First um, John 5.19, uh, you read in that passage about the world of sin lying in the power of the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says that the Lord protects us uh, from the evil one. That's one of the names of Satan, or the serpent, the dragon. His name is the evil one, as opposed to uh, the Lord who, when uh, someone comes up to Jesus and, and says, I know, we know you're a good, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, well, there, you know there's only one who is good, and that is God. And so the Bible, it's, it's very simple in the Bible. Uh, all that is good relates to who God is. And all that is evil is that which is opposed to God. That's why we have God who is good. And Satan defined as the evil one. Peter tells us, believers in Jesus... Uh, will face the reality of this evil uh, in their lives. Now, again, we we really got to make sure we nail this down. In the early 19th century, the American transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote an essay that would really come to encapsulate the thinking of generations of Americans and, and, and most of our country today. He wrote this little essay. It was called Self-Reliance. Ever heard that word before? 
the gist of this essay by Ralph Waldo Emerson was this. There is no such thing as good and bad, uh, right and wrong, except, said Emerson, that which I decide within my inner self is good or bad. And we have that, we have that with us ever since. And even in the professing church, we get this idea that, well, you know, it's all your perspective. No, the Bible says there is good, and it has everything to do with who God is, what God has said, and there is evil, everything to do with what Satan is all about, and in his opposition to the living God. And the two uh, do not go together. And so how does this look like in the life of believers? Well, this evil uh, comes in the form of, verse 9, reviling. That means to speak evil and wickedly about somebody. Uh, Speaks about insults, speaks about, verse 16, being slandered. Uh, And verse 17 speaks about suffering for doing good. That is, those inflicting pain upon those who seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, this passage also talks about our own temptation to repay evil and return evil for evil. Now, what does evil look like? Well, the Bible helps us uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 or Hebrews chapter 11. It tells us, what does evil towards God's people look like? Well, Hebrews 11.32 goes like this. And what more shall I say? This is the great chapter of faith, Old Testament saints. For time would fail me, says the author to the Hebrews, to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. February 15, 2015, CBS News reports, ISIS released a video today showing the Beheading of 21 Christians kidnapped in Libya. Finally, says Peter, to sum up, all of you, all of you, understand the reality of evil. Secondly, Peter says, uh, we need to understand the believer's response to evil. Now remember, uh, chapter 3 comes after chapter 2, which comes after chapter 1. And so the Apostle Peter uh, is speaking to those who in chapter 1, the Bible describes as those who have been caused to be born again through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he comes to chapter 3, there's the reality of evil, but what's the response to evil? Well, notice what he says, verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, there's a contrary here, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, and now he's going to quote from Psalm 34. 
Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So how is the Christian believer, the all of you of verse 8, to respond to the reality of evil? Well, I can tell you uh, how we naturally respond and how our culture would encourage us to respond. Uh, Perhaps the best illustration of our natural response is the response of the police officer who was revealed uh, on the big screen in 1971. When after stopping a bank robbery uh, by shooting one thief and collaring another, uh, this police officer on the screen threatened him with his gun this way. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you? That's, of course, our culture. That's, of course, that's of course Clint Eastwood, if you didn't get my Clint Eastwood impersonation. Uh, Dirty Harry of uh, 1971. Now, you shoot somebody... They're going to shoot you, you know, and I do it easily, dirty Harry. Well, that's our culture. Um, that's not the way the Bible says you've learned Christ. Not returning evil for evil. Do not repay evil for evil. Verse 10, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from deceit. Verse 11, turn away from evil. But verse 9 is probably the one that really hits us uh, in the face because It says this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Okay, so you're saying to yourself as Christians, we just need to walk away. We just need to uh, ignore them. That's not what the Bible says. But on the contrary, bless. For to this, you're not going to like this. For to this, that is blessing those who are evil towards you. For to this, you are called. Now, that might sound familiar to you. Say, wait a minute, to this you were called. Didn't he say that before? Yep. Chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This, remember, chapter 2, 20. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's a gracious thing when you do good and yet you suffer for it. For to this, chapter 2, 21. For to this, you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example. So there, yeah, we heard it before. To this you were called. Christians uh, are called to suffering for Christ. And here the Bible says we're called to respond to suffering in the name of Christ by giving a blessing. In other words, Peter says in Christ now for the Christian someone who knows Christ, who's been born again, uh, who has the Holy Spirit within them. They have faith in Christ and uh, his atoning work on the cross for them. They're united to Christ. He's their only Savior. For that person, Peter says, you are called to be and to do 
uh, and to feel the very opposite of what comes naturally to our sinful nature. So instead of returning evil for evil, verse 11 says, no, you, uh, you will do the completely unexpected. You will pursue peace. Even in the face of evil, you will do uh, the completely unexpected. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Suffering for righteousness' sake, pursuing righteousness. Verse 16 speaks about uh, having a good conscience and speaks about your good behavior in Christ. Don't miss that. It's not, we're not talking to non-Christians here. This is good behavior that can only happen in Christ. For it's better to suffer for doing good, verse 17, if that should be God's will. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 12, uh, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Howard were missionaries to Ecuador sent to work with the Quechua Indians. The two eventually, you know, were married in 1953 in the city of Quito, Ecuador. As you also, I'm sure, know, in January 1956, uh, Jim Elliott was speared to death along with four of his missionary friends while attempting to contact the Waudani tribe. Their daughter, Valerie, uh, was 10 months old. 10 months old when her father uh, was, was killed. In October uh, 1958, Elizabeth Elliot uh, went to live uh, with that tribe with her three-year-old daughter, Valerie, and with Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, one of the other men speared to death by the Wodani. That same Valerie, actually, this past April, uh, spoke at the women's retreat in Idlewild. Nate Saint's son, Steve, was born in Quito, Ecuador at a mission hospital. He was the second son of Nate and Marge Saint's three children. After the death of Saint's father in that same spearing uh, murder in 1956, the family moved into Quito where uh, the the 10-year-old Steve Saint uh, went to school. Saint first went to live with the Waidani, staying with them when he was 10. He'd, He'd go back into that tribe. Uh, during the summers. He learned about living in the jungle. He also developed relationships with many members of the tribe. And in June 1965, he was baptized in the Kurare River by Kimo and Dewey, two of his father's killers who had since converted to Christianity. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. That's to be, the Bible says, our response to the reality of evil. But then, of course, we have the question, how is that possible? How is that possible? Well, first of all, we remember uh, the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5.43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And here in verse 9, the do not repay of the ESV is really not returning. It is a participle. It's a present active participle, which simply means this, that the assumption is that it's already happening. 
Uh, not returning evil for evil, but what it means to communicate there is you need to stop doing that. Not, 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 doing, not returning evil for evil like you're doing, but instead, bless. In Luke chapter 6, we read these words, Luke 6, verse 26, from the Lord Jesus. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Everybody loves a false prophet. Everybody loves a professing Christian who doesn't really believe in Jesus. Everybody loves a, a, a member of sovereign grace who will never uh, actually uh, press them on the claims of Jesus as Lord of their life. They will love you in your workplace and school if you never actually live for Jesus, as long as you just profess Him within. That is false. That is a false prophet. Oh, they, they love those kind of folks, says Jesus. But I say to you, he says, Luke six twenty seven, who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And here, Peter says, you seek their well-being. You you bless uh, because you yourself obtain a blessing. It doesn't mean earn a blessing there in verse 9, but it says, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It's actually the word inherit, so that you might inherit a blessing. It's not earned blessing. It is an inheritance. Why is it an inheritance? Because this blessing of salvation and all that is ours and in the Lord Jesus, is a gift. So you are blessed, and you are called to bless others. But how? How do we do this? Well, notice what verse 12 says. For the eyes of the Lord uh, are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 12 tells us that the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Unlike, you might remember just a few verses up, verse 7 told us that there's hindered prayer. The hindered prayer of the uh, husband who is not loving his wife as Christ loves the church. His prayers are hindered. But verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Now, what do we take from that? Well, simply this. First of all, don't ever think. Don't ever think that God doesn't see. Don't ever think that uh, that God doesn't care about you or about your suffering or about what you're going through or about what our brothers and sisters are going through the world over. Don't ever think that. The Bible says nothing escapes God's view. He sees and he hears. He wasn't absent from India on January 23rd, 99. He sees, he hears. The contrast here is sharp, right? His eyes, the Bible says, are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Turn with me. If you've got your Bible, turn with me in the Old Testament to Isaiah, Isaiah 64, to hear the cry of, uh, of, the, of the prophet and uh, dealing with, uh, uh, dealing with uh, discouragement uh, in the face of, of evil. 
And this is what Isaiah 64 says. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence from of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we've been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who's unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you've hidden your hate face from us and you've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. This passage speaking about the, the, the cry of the prophet Isaiah for the Lord to come and to, and to hear. But here the apostle Peter tells us the Lord does hear the prayer of his people. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, the wonderful thing here, of course, is that when we think about this, we remember that Ephesians 2 tells us that by nature, we were objects of God's wrath. That there, uh, the Bible says that, that, that all of us are born sinful. And so if the face of the Lord is against those who do evil uh, and is against those who are under his just wrath, there's only two things that can happen. Either that, that, that uh, either God will take that person who is under his wrath and convert them to faith in Christ and instead of being his enemy, make them his friend, which is what Christians are, or the face of the Lord remains against those who do evil. And if they are not brought to faith in Christ, then eventually they will face the wrath of God themselves in judgment and in punishment. But across the board, Peter says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Never forget that. Never think that God doesn't see. Never think that God doesn't hear the cries of his people. But here's the thing, says Peter. God does not shield his people from the reality of evil. God does not shield his people from the suffering that comes to believers because of the name of Christ. But he does stand with us. Uh, He does support us and he redeems us from evil. That is, he delivers us from evil. He delivers us from the evil of our own sin uh, through our coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He delivers us from that evil. He's our redeemer from evil. But Peter says there's also his redemption from the evil we face in this world. Now, this is kind of strange, really, what Peter says here. Don't you think? Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you? if you are zealous uh, for what is good. Now, who is there to harm you? Now, perhaps if you were uh, receiving this letter for the first time, you might have said to the Apostle Peter, uh, a whole lot of folks. Now, who is there in the United States of America that wants to harm you, believer? Now, Peter isn't asking this, of course, as if there were no opposition to Christians, no opposition to believers, but he's asking this question uh, similar in the way that the Apostle Paul asked the question in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, uh, who can be against us? Uh, The implied uh, answer there, of course, is, is no one. 
And so when he asks now, who is there to harm you? He means, who is there to truly harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Can anybody really touch you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you might say, but wait a minute, aren't Christians harmed in this? And, and people say, yes, they're harmed uh, uh, externally, but not eternally, and not finally. The Apostle Paul, of course, describes his own, uh, those opposed to him in his life. Remember when he says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure, he's talking about his body, in uh, our uh, jars of clay. We have this treasure, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, new life in Christ. We have it in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then he says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So Peter says, though Christians may suffer physically and mentally and financially and many, 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 many other ways, They are still finally, ultimately, eternally, says Peter, eternally blessed. Remember chapter 1 of this book, verse 6, he said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, uh, you believe in him. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, uh, the salvation of your souls, full and final, free, forever, eternal salvation. That is the blessing that every Christian has and maintains. And nothing can, says Peter, nothing can harm that ever. Chapter 2, 20, what credit is it if you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you. The end of the suffering uh, Christian is not finally death or destruction, but blessing, the Bible says, salvation and life. So he's saying, so so yes, there is opposition. Paul would be the first to say that. Peter would say that. Peter experienced that. Uh, Yes, but who really is there, says Peter, to harm you? If you're zealous for what is good, and the implied answer is no one can harm the one who belongs to Christ. Now, because that's true, Peter says we need not fear. Did you catch that? Because that's true. No harm to the believer eternally, fully. No blessing is yours. Verse, uh, verse 13. Now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for his good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 
Because that's true, that we are eternally blessed, says Peter, we need not live in fear. It can be translated, do not be afraid with fear of them. You know, there's many folks in our, in our country today in the United States who wonder, uh, you know, what the, what the future might hold in the United States. You know, no longer even a, in many ways, no longer even a veneer of Christianity. The opposition to Christianity, much, much clearer. And so many folks are thinking, well, what's, what might happen here? I mean, we've already got, you know, the state this week um, wanting citizens to vote for uh, murder of the unborn at any, any time for any reason. So we've already got that. I mean, what, what more, what's, what's going to come down the pike? And so there can be, uh, there can be great fear in the life of the believer. What if, what if they do this? Or what if, what if coming to church on a Sunday morning means this? Do not fear. Isaiah eight twelve goes like this. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. It would be much better uh, in the United States of America of, uh, uh, of, uh, instead of fearing what may come in the future, the Bible says it'd be much better if we feared God. Don't fear uh, what's to come. Have a holy and awesome reverence uh, for the Creator and the Redeemer and the One who is sovereign over all, over all things. We need not fear. Just like a Christian wife, remember we saw it. A Christian wife need not fear if she's married to an unchristian husband. Don't fear. Just keep doing good. Keep being faithful to Christ. Keep serving the Lord in your marriage, and the Lord might use you to draw him to faith. Uh, as he said to the Christian husband, don't fear. You, you know that you are called to love your wife, to honor your wife, to cherish your wife. doesn't matter what the world says. You keep on doing good. Be faithful in that marriage. Lead her, care for her, provide for her, nourish her, cherish her in the faith. Trust him. And so here, all of you, says Peter, all of you, when you're zealous, that is, when you have a, a burning desire, as Jesus had a burning desire, to do the will of His Father, when you are zealous for what is good and, and what is righteous, because you are in Christ, who is there that can harm you? No one, so do not fear them, nor be troubled. We know who is king. We know who reigns. And Jesus is set apart and sits enthroned as king in our hearts. And we'll look at that another time. But because he's king, he, he reigns in our hearts. Our good behavior, verse 16, in Christ. It's all in Christ. Oh, we need, not, we need not fear men. I've told you that illustration. I can't help it, but uh, that illustration of a, the, the fellow I met when I was uh, way many, many years ago, when I was 18, 19 years old and, and up in northern Canada. And again, on, on a mission to native Canadians on reserves there and uh, the missionary Bud Elford, who was in charge of the northern Canada evangelical mission 
was training us, and we didn't know anything, of course, and uh, and we were all fearful of what was going to happen, and uh, you know, it was going ten weeks to do a uh, into a, on a native reserve, and didn't know anything, didn't know what, what was going to do, and uh, and he told this story of how he had been on a native reserve for many years, ministering the gospel, and and they hated him. Um, and some of the some of the reserves he was on, they they had a, a problem with alcoholism, and so he'd be out walking the streets, and um, and so one time it was late at night, and he's he's outside, and someone's drunk, and they've got a shotgun, and. Um, and uh, it wasn't someone who particularly liked Mr. Alford and uh, said to Bud Alford, said, unless you get out of here, I am gonna sh- I'm going to shoot you dead. And, and aimed, aimed, his, aimed his shotgun at him. And, uh, and Bud Alford, as, as best as I can remember, said something like this. Well, whether or not you're going to shoot me, I don't know. But I know there's nothing you can do that God hasn't, uh, that God hasn't ordained. You can't take my life from me uh, if God hasn't ordained it. And I'm not, and because and the guy said to him, you've got to get off this reserve. We don't want you preaching the gospel. And Bud Alford said, well, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do, but I, I know that uh, my time is in God's hands. And I'm going to continue to minister the gospel here on this reserve, zealous uh, for what is good. You know, Graham Staines and his two sons, 10 and 7, on the way to Bible camp, when they were wickedly murdered, burnt alive, they left a mother and a wife whose name was Gladys. And Gladys stayed in India 15 more years, caring for the poor and leprosy patients. That was their ministry, caring for lepers. And she did it all in the name of Christ. Today there is a uh, Graham Staines Memorial Hospital in Baripada, India. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, because you are in Christ, bless for to this. You were called not only to suffer for Christ's sake, uh, but to respond to that suffering and evil by blessing, praying, loving, because we are the ones who have received, of course, the blessing of God. Love, care, kindness, mercy, when we were yet sinners. That's who we are. All of you, says Peter. This is all for all of us. May we pray for the persecuted church. And if the Lord calls us to suffer, uh, may we remember uh, these words and may we respond to that suffering as the Lord Jesus himself responded to it, zealous for doing his Father's will, praying for those who persecuted them, him, that they might in fact come to know God. May that be true of us and May we pray for our uh, brothers and sisters across the world who, uh, who know much more about this than we do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all your blessings to us, Lord. We live in a country that for so many years, Lord, what great freedoms we've had and what great lack of suffering we have had to endure to be Christian. No one stops us from coming to this place of worship to hear the word of God and to sing your praises. And yet, Lord, though the doors are open, 
Across the nation, so many chairs are empty. And so, oh Lord, when this is what happens when the grass is green. Oh Lord, we do wonder what might happen uh, when the grass turns brown, when suffering comes, persecution. Will anyone come to worship God in the church in America? But Lord, we need not fear because we know from your word that those who are in Christ those who've been caused to be born again by your grace and by your mercy, those who love Christ, those who know that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for them, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, those who are rooted in Christ and grounded in Christ, know that this is how you have called us to live, not only called to salvation, but called to suffer for the sake of Christ and called to respond to evil in the name of Christ, for blessing and not for cursing. And Lord, we pray that today as we go from this place, Lord, we would remember those who are in chains, that we would remember the persecuted, that we would remember our our brothers and sisters who not only many years ago or in 1999 or in, uh, in 2015, but Lord, every day, even today, in different parts of the world, even on this Lord's day, might suffer For the sake of Jesus, help them to know, dear God, that nothing, nothing can harm them. But they are supremely blessed in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then may that be our conviction as we go forward, Lord, wherever you may call us into whatever suffering you might lead us for your glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.